hey, thanks for stopping by, especially since it's a solo so this week. Uh, but I did want to put it out there that there is a content warning. I'm going to be talking about immigration, the concentration camps, and how we move forward from this, using some examples on why we're having a lot of these crises. Um, so if you don't want to engage yourself with this, I understand. I just did want to put the content warning out there. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. And first things first, I want to apologize to Gabby uh, for losing the audio. That was totally my bad. Uh, but, you know, as you and I were texting about, like, you know, we had the opportunity to make an even better episode just because you're in El Salvador right now. And so we could talk about, like, a lot of really cool new stuff uh, that is relevant to everything, really. But speaking about El Salvador, I uh, just got done having dinner with my godfather, Nino. I call him Nino. Uh, it's, it's, like, short for padrino. Like, padrino, like... You know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, I grew up calling him Nino, so he's Nino to me. He's actually like a grandpa to me. And I value his opinion more than anyone else's in the world. And one of the things that he told me while we were having dinner was that he is just trying to piss me off. And he made it, he made it an important point about a lot of things that are going on in this country right now. And... So, I mean, there is a lot of things, but we could take it step by step. So what I wanted to have this solo episode about is because I'm like really, really charged up because he kind of put things in perspective for me. So obviously we know about the concentration camps that are like set up by the border, but not even by the border, but like across the nation that are holding women and children, people in these cells or cages, right? And forcing them to sleep on the floor with like aluminum blankets. Like there's another word that I heard somebody use on the news. Regardless, it doesn't look very comfortable at all. <laughs> and, you know, the people are sleeping on the concrete floors. And these are all things that are coming to light now, especially because of media exposure. I mean, as social media grows, as big media grows, and more eyes, more of our eyes are, are attached to politics and social issues, it's getting a lot more attention. So as I was talking to my godfather about all of this, he was telling me that he was speaking to several families from Central America and that were detained, several of which were families that were separated. Whereas kids are being sent off to like New York, where mothers or, or guardians or big sisters are being kept in Texas, completely just ripped apart and sent off into the unknown, really. Now, that description right there might sound very similar to what we hear on the news all the time now, especially to the statuses that we see on Facebook and the things that we share that... We hope that we'll make somebody think, right? But this has been going on forever. I know several people that have been detained. And growing up, I mean, you know, I have I'm I was born here, so I never really had to worry about any of this, right? I never had to worry about going in for a citizens, citizenship test or for a check-in with ICE to make sure that, you know, are you okay here? And, and 
you know, I never really had to have the anxiety of being pressed up in that tiny office and wondering if the ICE agents are going to grab you by your shoulders and tell you to get out of this country. And shit, well, they'll escort you to go onto a plane and send you on your way. I never really had to have any of that anxiety. And I think that's a big sentiment or feeling that a lot of us have living here in this country. Those of us that have the documents that allow us to stay. So I don't want to go into too much details about the stories that he was telling me about his own experiences, right? With these families or other people's experiences that he was told. But the fact of the matter is, is that these horrific stories have done so much to desensitize us to what actually is going on behind closed doors. For years, these clo- even in the Obama days, these, clo- these doors were closed. I know of people that were thrown in ice boxes, meaning that like they were stripped naked and thrown into freezers, right? In, in a way that, that was justified by ICE agents and Border Patrol to say, oh, this is our way of disinfecting you, you know? So you got to be clean in this country, right? So get naked, take off all your clothes and send yourself off into this freezer, this really, really cold room. And they had to be there for hours. You know, extreme cases, I don't know, I've heard of days. But it, it sounds crazy to think about. But that was actually a story I heard about maybe five years ago. And a lot of this stuff is coming to light now as if it's new news, right? So I know that my listeners and my friends and those that I know really care about this stuff know that I'm not playing when I say that none of this is new, like at all. And if there's any listeners that are tuning in to really just kind of familiarize themselves with what's going on, just please understand that all of this that's coming to light right now is not new. Like I can't say it enough. There are tons of families that are being placed in under these conditions. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is, is not wrong when she says that these are concentration camps. People, Mexicans, Central Americans, Cambodians, Haitians, they don't even have to be Latinx. Like, these are people from all over the world, right? Just mostly Latinx people, Latin American people. Right, But these are people from all over the world that are being placed under these horrifying conditions. You know, like some people that go to jail can't even think about going to this, like about this. What I'm really concentrated on are the babies, right? I've worked with kids. Kids, you know, I've always worked with them from like when I was in like sixth grade, starting off, you know, volunteering at vacation Bible school to look over the kids, right, to... Growing up and, and, and having my first internship at an actual like pro- nationwide program in Freedom Schools. You know, recently I, I spent some time at Freedom Schools because, you know, they always invite me back to read to the kids um, for Read Aloud. And the point of that whole program is to show the scholars, right? We call the students the scholars because it's an empowering term. But to empower the students to see or the scholars to see that success and personal achievement is possible. In this world that aims to further marginalize minorities and marginalized groups. So Freedom Schools is actually a school or a program or a tradition that dates all the way back to the civil rights era. Okay? So Freedom Schools were set up by the African-American community, by the black community, 
because there were segregated schools. You know, education was not equal. So the community was like, you know what? We're going to teach our own. We're, we're going to provide our own education to our kids because we know we, we know what's up. So obviously, you know, if our kids are not in the best hands or any, even really good hands at all in the institution, then we're going to take this over. So the example that I draw from that is that the community came together, right, and institutionalized their own solution for the babies. Okay, so kind of getting back to the point, you know, read aloud is to show uh, the scholars is that people who look like them or sound like them or maybe other marginalized groups, you know, I'm not black in any way, shape or form. And, and, you know, but I was an SLI. I was this quote teacher and I put quotes around it because I wasn't a teacher. I was a servant leader intern that was facilitating a curriculum. Um, and I was able to serve as inspiration for a lot of them. So I was invited back to read aloud to them to continue to bring these lessons. Right. So that says a lot for me to, you know, offer that to the kids, to the scholars. So, what my whole point in bringing all that up is because a lot of these scholars come from conditions, right? That those of us who grew up privileged wouldn't ever think about, right? And Cleveland is a lot different than Lorraine. Maybe, actually, I don't know if that's ignorant to say, but from where I grew up in Lorraine, let's put it that way. And so when I think about the babies, I think about the babies that are from across the border that are being put into these cells, right? So my parents fled a war. And not all of us know what a war is like. But one thing is for sure is that it messes with your head. And it messes, you know, I would say probably 100% of people, right? And some minimal, minimal, minimal to the most maximum effect you can think of. But that war affected everybody. The Salvadoran Civil War. And it has placed its effects on generations, you know, kind of flashing back to Manny's episode um, about generational generational trauma and cycles and curses. Well, you'd be a fool to think if it doesn't live on in today's kids. So let's talk about that for a second. So there were new things that came as a result in that war. Um, People were separated by violence. Friends were killed. Families were killed. Um, you know what? I should probably put a trigger warning. I'll put it at the beginning of the episode after I'm done recording this. So, yeah. Anyways. Um, and people had to grow up in those conditions. People fled the country in an event that was funded by the United States military. Some of which people, soldiers, Salvadoran soldiers, were trained by the U.S. military, right? So, the empire that is our country, you know, that we live in, growing up in this bubble, right, we don't think about a lot. I I sure didn't. I didn't. You know, I didn't grow up Salvadoran. You know, I grew up as a Salvadoran American, right? That's a lot different. I didn't have to go through all of these events that my parents had to go through or that my Nino had to watch them go through. I mean, he was down there too. And being conscious of that wakes me up to the fact that the effects still live on today within that region, 
right? I can't speak for Mexico, but Mexico has its problems too. What I can speak for is Central America, El Salvador specifically. So MS-13 popped up as a result of this war. And what happened was is that a lot of the ex-soldiers, a lot of the ex-rebels, a lot of people that fled the country went off into Los Angeles, right? And a lot of them were in um, in East LA, I believe. And, uh, you know, a lot of them were, that were placed, a lot of the diaspora were placed in, in the hood, basically. Um, and Salvadorans were obviously in the minority. I mean, California borders Mexico. And there's a lot of black and Mexican gang members, right? Um, so a lot of, you know, a lot of the, what we see in the media called the, like the cholos, right? Um, <laughs> they didn't get along with the Salvadorans at all. The Salvadorans didn't get along with them. But the thing is, is that if we're talking about majority and minority, the majority in terms of Latinx people in that region were Mexican. And the minority were Salvadorans or other Central Americans, right? So MS-13 formed in Los Angeles and L.A. as a way to kind of rebel against this uh, hegemony, right, that they had to endure, right? They weren't accepted for being themselves. They were different. You know, oh, you're not like us. So, you know, they suffered a lot of, I guess you can say, consequences for that. Um, so MS-13 formed as a gang in Los Angeles. And it started off as just like a street gang. But then it really grew and grew and grew. And it radical, not radicalized, but it ext- it, like extremists, right, within the group used this whole thing where it's like, well, they are... You know, they are uh, oppressing us, and they were, you know, like the, the Mexican gangs were oppressing the Salvadorans to the point where they violently, right, mobilized and caused havoc wherever they went. This is how MS-13 got their reputation uh, that they have today. It all started with some stupid conflict, right, between ethnicities in Los Angeles. And so a lot of these gang members, right, didn't have the papers. A lot of them fled the war, right? And even if you did have papers, you know, they were placed in jails too. A lot of them were thrown into these jails and it piled up and it piled up and it piled up. And it was under the Clinton administration that a ton of these MS-13 gang members were deported back to El Salvador. This is a result of the war. And so... Now, a lot of the violence that exists in El Salvador perpetuates itself because a lot of those gang members, I mean, now it's like a mafia. Like, it's ridiculous. You know, the death, the death tolls that exist in El Salvador equate, and sometimes even go over, right, the death tolls during the war. Some people even go to distance to say that there is a war right now in El Salvador. These are the conditions that children, children, children are growing up with in their homes today and that they're fleeing. So kind of going back to the Obama days, I was speaking with some friends, right, that are also Central American. And it was it was actually a finals week, um, I guess you can say, uh, conversation. I should have been studying for my finals, right? But this was just such a hot issue. I don't even know if it was final. It might have been midterms. I don't know. It was so long ago. But I should have been probably concentrating on it anyways that's beside the point we're talking about like why are all these kids showing up to the border without any parents like tons of kids 
are showing up to our southern border without any parents. And the majority of these kids were Central American. Kids from Honduras, from Guatemala, from Nicaragua, and, and, and El Salvador, right? These are children that are showing up to the border, and they were detained. There were pictures. Oh, yeah, I remember exactly. Like I was working IT at John Carroll, and I was looking at the news, and that was just all that was all over the place. And I looked at it. I was like, these are kids that look like me. These are kids that look like my dad, like my mom, like my sister, like my cousins, like, like, oh my God. And, and I was, I was thinking at myself at the time, I was like, what could have possessed these kids to walk through multiple countries, right? Just to make it here for a chance, a sliver of a chance of escaping the horrors that they go through in their home countries. So listeners, this is what we're missing in our society today is empathy, right? Those of you that work jobs, especially sales jobs, it's 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 a trend, right? You know, uh, employers want you to have empathy for your clients to make sure that they trust you. That is a perversion of empathy. So get that out of your head, okay? When I'm talking about empathy is to look at somebody else's conditions, right? Not to understand where they're coming from but to recognize where they're coming from, to recognize it as valid. It's not bullshit. It's not at all. Zero. But the problem is, is that so many of us that you know grow up in this country, in this little bubble where everything is handed to us, where most things are handed to us without even knowing, we don't think about it at all. And I'm speaking as a collective. Obviously, there are people in this country that suffer very, very horrible conditions, right? And I do want to recognize that. What I'm saying as a collective, as a country, as a collective, this is the mindset. So when I was having dinner with my with my Nino, and he told me, you know, I'm just trying to piss you off. And I thought to myself, well, why am I not getting pissed off right now? <laughs> and it's because I can speak from an honest place. Being around this so much and with being it with it being in the news, being on my news feed, be, being so many people talking about it on Facebook and Twitter. And constant arguing and and all of this, it desensitizes me. It's like, what the heck? What's going on? Like, these are the literal concentration camps are happening. Agents are <laughs> ICE agents and Border Patrol agents are dressing up as everyday common people with their sunglasses and their caps and their hoodies, right? And walking in the streets. Renting out cars, like there, there, there was a report here up in Cleveland, right, or in the Ohio, in Ohio, where ICE agents and Border Patrol agents are going to enterprises or wherever you rent a car, and renting out just normal vehicles to drive in the street and to stalk people, in an attempt to pick them up. So this is what I really, really want us to recognize, right, as valid, because now. I feel like I'm not the only one that's desensitized. I feel like a lot of people are. So the question is, is that what do we do, right? I mean, we could talk about this all day. I mean, I'm making an episode about this thing because now I'm, I'm like really charged up and I have all this energy, but energy doesn't stay with us forever. We, we don't stay motivated 24-7. And there are people who do, right? But statistically speaking, they're not. You got to sleep sometime. And the question is, especially in this area, 
right, in Northeast Ohio or in the Midwest, where it's not as explicit in front of us that it may be in the southern borders or in states like California and Texas, what do we do? You know, we're closer to Canadians than we are with Mexicans, you know, in regards to proximity. But what do we do, right? And so I guess some of the things is to get involved with your local communities, uh, your community groups, right, that work with the immigration population. But that's not for everybody. I mean, I guess it's up to the individual to really ask themselves, what am I capable of doing? What am I good at doing? I know that I'm good at media. I know that I I like to put together podcasts and I like to record myself playing video games on the internet. I know that I have a voice and I know that I like working with people. I like being eye to eye with those that I'm working with. I like to know what exactly am I doing for the community, right? Is my presence valuable in this situation? And these are all questions that I had to ask myself. It took me years to really find this, you know? I've always had a passion, but I didn't know what to do. So... I guess for those of you who are on my age or even younger, I guess find what your tools are to help with the fight. Because if we're going to make any type of changes, we all need to come together, right? And this is not some corny liberal talk. I'm not talking about that way. I'm talking about freedom school. I'm talking about freedom school way, right? Because at one point, the African-American community, the black community, came together and started up their own damn schools for their kids, for their babies to make sure that they weren't killed in the classroom or, or, or beat up or bullied or, or, or called names or, or, or have more suffrage or suffrage. Is that even the right word? More suffering to their mental health. What are we doing? And it's, it's, it's seriously a huge question. Sometimes I, I even ask myself, it's like, am I even doing enough? Not everyone can go down to the borders and see what exactly is going on. I kind of think back to Manny's episode again, but also Gabby's episode before I lost the, <laughs> lost, lost the audio. What are we, are we using our institutions, right, to fight the good fight? Especially college students that believe, that are down with the movement, that are, that are, that are with the mission. How are we using our institutions to mobilize? I don't want this. I don't want to turn this into a, like a brag show or anything. I really don't. Okay, but I guess I the only since it's a solo episode, I can't really ask anyone else. So I can only really talk about what I have done. So when I was at John Carroll, right, I was I was in leadership, and something that I was really strict on with you know in comparison to the rest of the board was that okay yeah having fun is great you know like yeah let's have these dances let's give out candies let's um <laughs> let's let's have like all these great things movie nights like yeah like we're in college like we need to we need to cool off sometimes like i get it right especially those that we serve the latinx community and those that admire us or those that want to learn about us but there's a key word in what i just said that want to learn about us so it can't just be fun and games all the time, right? It needs to be immersion, but not just immersion, but listening, right? Actively listening about what's going on. So I remember uh, back in Hispanic Heritage Month, 
we held an event called uh, uh, Welcoming the Stranger, and you know, it was it was actually uh, put on by my by my Nino, and he's been working with the the, the immigration community for a while now, and it's what he continue wants to, he it's what he continues to want to do and there he spoke with you know a bunch of students right that don't necessarily have our background uh the latinx background or the latinx experience or come from a background like that but they learned a lot so even holding events or having a conversation matters you know i want to give a shout out to dwight uh, dwight if you even listen to the show you know dwight uh venson he's the former president of the black students in action formerly known as the african american alliance at john carroll and we spoke a lot about leadership. I mean, I, I certainly learned a lot from him. And a point that he brought up, and this is when I had a very business mindset. And this is like when I was like freshman, sophomore in college, first year, second year in college, right? And I was telling him, I was like, you know, I'm aggravated. Why don't more people come to these events? And he told me, well, slow your roll. Like, that's not the right mindset to have. I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, whether it be 20 people or five people, right? Say five people go to an event and they learn, right? You genuinely made a change in their life. Doesn't that matter as much as 20 people? And I thought about that for a second, right? And and obviously things can't be just taken at surface value all the time. And the sentiment there is that if you can really make a change in somebody's mindset through influence, not just through a conversation, but through, through, through like holding an event or by leading an example, right? Conversations matter too. Then it matters, right? That influence matters on somebody else. So what I'm trying to say is that not everyone can be involved with leadership, but everyone has a voice and I'll, you know, kind of flex the word or the definition of voice in a way. That it doesn't always have to be vocal. You don't have to always use your mouth to make sounds and tell people things. But voice also means through action. Right? Through what you do. Through who you're there for. Through who you care about. Who you shake hands with. Who you give a hug to. Who you smile at. Now that's the bare minimum, obviously. But showing up to an event. To going on the street and holding up a sign along with a protest. Even if you're not doing the chant, if you're holding the sign, even if you don't have a sign and you're there with the crowd and 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 you're shoulder to shoulder with the community that's trying to make a difference, then you are making a difference too. Strength in numbers. I think a big issue too that we have as, as Latinx folks is that we don't listen to each other. And this goes on all fronts. So, an example. Mexicans and Salvadorans, Puerto Ricans and Salvadorans, Puerto Ricans and Mexicans, Central Americans with each other, typically have never really gotten along throughout our history on this earth. And that's due to a variety of factors. The thing is, is that whenever one of us brings, up, brings it up, we kind of turns our ears off. Right. And we don't work through the problem. Immediately we get on the defensive and we're like, you know, what the heck? You know, I'll screw you too. Like, who are you talking to like that? Right. 
and sometimes it's justified. You know, sometimes people say some ignorant stuff <laughs> and and it's justified. You know, I won't tell you that it's not. I'm just more so talking about when somebody brings up um, a situation where they're like, you know what? Typically this country jails these people or this country, you know, causes violence to my country's people. And we don't ever want to talk about it, right? Because it's not me that's doing it. <laughs> of course it's not. That's why I'm friends with you. That's why I love you. That's why like, I, I even care to have a conversation with you about this. I'm not here to fight with you about it. And, 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 you know, I can think back to multiple times that I've talked about some things with, you know, some Mexicans that didn't really appreciate some things that I said about Central Americans defending the caravan and all that. It caused a lot of friction, right? That, that didn't need to be there. Anyways, the point in all of this is to really kind of sit down and understand what exactly is going on. Um, let's use an example about Central Americans. So Salvadorans take up a, a, a lot, a lot of the spotlight when it comes to issues, right? That happened here in this country about Central American inclusion and who's, you know, the more valuable than the other. <laughs> it could be like stupid little fights about who invented the pupusa. You know, was it the Salvadorans or was it the Hondurans? And, you know, who has the better accent? You know, who has like, little stupid stuff like that to divide us, right? Like, stupid stuff that, you know, some of my best friends are Mexicans. Some of my best friends are Puerto Ricans, right? And I never got into, like, any altercations with them about these things. But I see it amongst the rest of my community that they would just refuse to talk. And to really have this constructive dialogue about what do we really need to do to continue to build this community. Now, let me take a pause real quick and I want to talk about the word dialogue. You know, uh, you see me, follow me on social media, you see that I kind of make fun of the idea of dialogue. You know, because it's like, some a lot of the times you'll have this like neoliberal, neoliberal attitude where like two people will meet up at a bar, right? And they'll talk politics and they'll sit down and they say... You know what? Those those Mexicans are being locked up in the concentration or the detention centers. You know, that's really terrible. And then Jeff will say, oh, yeah, yeah, that is really terrible. You know, but I say that, you know, they cross the border. That's the consequences that they suffer from. And then John will say, well, you know what? No, I don't I don't think that at all. I think they should be allowed in this country. You know, that that is the dialogue that I make fun of, like non-constructive, just there to hear each other speak or hear themselves speak right to boost their egos and not really actually do something like that is bs that i i feel like that's what really holds us back that's not what i say no we, we need to have dialogue i'm talking about you know where me as a central american right um and bringing up issues that 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 salvadorans go through um you know crossing the border into the united states with somebody that would tell me like you know what no but I'm actually putting in the effort to talk with them about why that's wrong. You know? So, I'm just saying, keep the energy. You see, it's just, it's more so about ourselves. Or more so about not ourselves, but more so about, more so about the people that are actually suffering from these consequences. I'll tell you something that Donnell, Donnell, if you're listening, like... 
I never forgot this, and I tell this to everybody that asks me, like, you know what, where where do you get your drive from? Like, what, why do you do the things the way that you do? It's well, it's because I had a boss one time. His name was Donnell, and he was my boss at Freedom School. He was a site coordinator, and he held all the debriefs. He made sure that we were doing our jobs for the babies, for the scholars. And a lot of the times, you know, we were new to this work, and we faced so many challenges. That's the thing about, you know, working in the schools or or in education. It's like, you know, there's always going to be something that throws you off. But with us being like 20 years old <laughs> and, and younger, really, we had a lot of complaints. And so at debrief sessions afterwards, we'd always complain like, oh, well, this shouldn't have happened. This shouldn't have happened. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's driving me crazy. And Donnell, what he would tell us is like, you know what? Get over yourselves. You got to get over yourselves. And we were, we were taken aback. It's like, we're, did she just really tell us that? Like, what are you talking about? Get over ourselves. And he's like, no, 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 no. Slow down. You're not hearing what I'm saying. You're not here for yourselves. You're here for the scholars. You're here for the babies. Thinking back when I, you know, back at Freedom School Training, <laughs> it, was just, it wasn't no joke. Like, we were out in this giant field, right? And um, Ella Baker trainers, they were facilitating a lot of the activities, a lot of the leadership building activities, a lot of team building activities, right, that we needed to go through to make sure that we were ready for on-site work. But one of the things, I, I don't remember her name, I'm so sorry, but one of, one of the things that she was saying, what she was saying is that you got to act with a sense of urgency. We don't have to, time to be dragging our feet. And that's coming from the sentiment that the black community the African-American community, marginalized communities, are facing very real circumstances in this country. And we don't have time to be really thinking so much about what's going on on Facebook or what's going on on Snapchat, right? Things about, you know, first world problems, basically. We don't got time to be thinking about that, right? Because people are depending on us. <laughs> and so I apologize if I sound angry this episode or I've been talking way too fast or whatever, but there's just been a lot of ideas going through my head lately. And, you know, talking with Nino, it really kind of opened me up and, and, and got me really thinking about what actually is important. What are we doing? What are you doing? How are you going to continue to help? I feel like we all need to really ask ourselves that. We don't really need to be the king of our communities. We don't need to be the person at the front of the line. If that's what you want to do, more power to you, right? That's what I like doing. But not everyone's like that. But the thing is, is if you know of people that are going through these things, right? That are being locked up in these concentration camps. Maybe you don't even have to know anybody, but just being conscious of them, where the fact that babies, children, are being locked up in these concentration camps, in these cells, and being separated from their families, right? These all sound like buzzwords. They all sound like like political taglines, but no, it's it's reality. Like, it's actually happening. I, I can't stress that enough. It's happening. It's happening. If you are aware and conscious of that, then I ask you, and I challenge you, to ask yourselves, why haven't I done anything yet? What am I doing every day to remedy this problem, right? How am I helping 
my community? How am I contributing? That is what I challenge every listener to ask themselves, is to really question how they're going to help out their community, how they're going to help out the babies, how they're going to help out the mothers, how they're going to help out the fathers, the people that are being locked up and punished for no reason, the people that are dying in the cells, in the cages, dying. Just think about that for a second. People are dying. Kids are getting sick and dropping dead. It's it's like it's like literally like it's happening, right? And it's tough for me to even believe too, because it's like, oh, well, if I don't see it, I don't believe it, right? We could be skeptical. Oh, fake news. You know what? Like, <laughs> the only thing I can really do by making this episode is to ask you to trust me that this is not fake news in any way, shape, or form. This has been going on for years. ICE has only existed since 2003. But it's 2003 was quite a time long ago. Or it's quite a time ago. And just now we're starting to think and know about the horrors that are happening. You know? So, I can't really think about anything else that I want to air out. Um, if you have any questions or anything like that, feel free to email me. You know, uh... I'm starting a website. You know, I've said this multiple times. I'm sorry, but like, uh, yeah, the website will be launched and, you know, you can listen to the show there. Have the most recent episode, uh, hear it. And you can also, you know, look at some guest pro. I'll talk about that more about a different episode. But anyways, um, my email address is Carlos at race, the number two, the finish dot live. If you have any questions about anything that I was saying or any comments, you know, I'm always willing to read. I read every email and uh, shout outs to the student leaders that have been emailing me and asking about how they can really get themselves involved and start organizations on their own campuses. I really, really appreciate that. Um, yeah. And, you know, for those of you that listen to this mini solo sode, uh, thank you for stopping by and listening to my rant, um, but also my challenge and my plea to you guys to really follow through with the spirit that you all have to help out one another, but also to recognize the atrocities and the terrible circumstances, the human rights violations that are happening in the hands of the United States of America. We just need to recognize all of that. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I'll see you at the end of the week. Bye-bye.